begun, as they say in Mortal Kombat. All right. <laughs> All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Haptics Club podcast. I am Ashley from Titan Haptics. I'm joined by my Haptics crew, Manu from Unity, Eric and Sarah from Interhaptics, and Gus and Irina from Sense Club. The Haptics Club is a team of people that have a passion for haptics. Our goal is to raise awareness of the amazing tech and people in the haptic space and foster some interesting discussions on the subject. We are so happy to be here for yet another season of Haptics Club. Amazing. Of course, we have even more surprises and exciting guests. And speaking of that, right now we are joined by Matt Tulis, the VP of XR at UltraLeap, a company that's all about digital worlds that feel human. Oh, I love that so much. There's so much to learn and talk about. So of course, we'll divide the hour, as you know, into a five minute intro, 15 minutes on air expertise, 10 minutes on the future. And of course, we'll cover things like challenges and opportunities of XR and haptics in the industry. At the 30 minute mark or around there, we'll stop the recording and open up the floor to the audience and ask questions. Um, and of course, be ready. Anyone listening, you know, you're missing out. The, the, the question and answer is where a lot of juicy questions happen, not to scare Matt. Um, but it's not recorded, so you won't hear it. Uh, so you have to join in. So be sure to check out the hapticsclub.com. That's our website. We have an amazing newsletter where you get to know first who's talking next and um, when our uh, podcasts drop. So let's let's get cracking. Let's get started right away. I think Matt, thanks so much for joining us. So excited to have you here. I would love to get a brief intro on uh, your background and just a little bit about your role at Ultralead. Awesome. Thanks, Ashley. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, my background, uh, I've been in the consumer electronics space for 20 years now. Actually, it's hard to believe. Um, I, I started um, at Dolby Laboratories where um, I joined uh, a team that was bringing, you know, Dolby the audio company. Sometimes people hear Dolby and they think Adobe because they sound close, but Dolby Laboratories, the audio company. Um, I studied computer science in school at University of Wisconsin. Um, got out of school and jumped right into Dolby, where I was a customer support engineer helping game developers implement surround sound. Um, we were working on the PlayStation 2 at the time, so that's that's the timeline that was in 2002. And I uh, was there for 10 years, uh, where I, I moved from uh, the engineering side of things to the product side of things, and I became a marketing director where I kind of led the business side. And so I learned a lot about bringing ingredient technologies to market um, and delivering value for an ecosystem where you have to deliver things like to the content, you have to deliver value to content developers, um, but then you have to try to monetize it at, at the hardware level, right? And that's kind of been a theme of my career. And so in addition to the, that time at Dolby, um, I, my next, I did a little brief startup failure thing, but uh, after that, I went into work at Immersion Corporation. Um, obviously, most of the people here in the, in the haptics world know about Immersion. Um, we did a lot of really cool things while I was at Immersion, and I worked with Manu uh, there. And, and you know, two of the things that uh, I, I'd say I'm most proud of that we did and we worked on there is um, we we licensed Nintendo for their HD Rumble that's in the Nintendo Switch. Um, and I, I did both product and BD stuff in Immersion, so I kind of saw both sides of the, that coin, what to build and how to, how to sell it. Um, and then also we did uh, the technology that is behind the haptic triggers that are in the PlayStation 5 and licensed Sony for that. So two pretty cool advancements in the world of haptics, um, trying to, again, move things forward. And that part of my career, I kind of equate a little bit to what I was doing at Dolby, where we we took audio and games from a very basic 2D television experience to surround sound playing through a movie. And in haptics, it went from you know very basic 
you know, buzzes or rumbles to trying to make it, you know, HD really like convey textures and, and, and things like that. And so that was a very rewarding experience. Um, I also spent a uh, year and a half at, uh, no, almost two years at Toby, uh, an eye tracking company. Um, again, bringing eye tracking to the world of esports and their PC business. Um, and now I'm approaching two years at Ultraleap where I'm VP of XR. Uh, I manage uh, the go-to-market for our technologies in both AR and VR. Uh, you know, right now that's heavily focused on hand tracking because that's kind of the here and the now. Um, and then I also look at, you know, our uh, mid-air haptics technology and bringing that into this space where we've had some, you know, interesting stuff happening um, in things like VR arcades and LBEs where, where like it kind of has a good application. So sorry for a long-winded uh, introduction, but just want to give a background of, I, I, I've seen different senses. Um, you know, I've worked in audio and eyes and vision. I've worked in hands and haptics, mid-air haptics. And so I, I kind of have a broad uh, sense of technology. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's a really great background um, and introduction. Thank you so much. That's really badass. Uh, we're gonna have tons more questions now, uh, divulging those, uh, those insights. <laughs> So for the next part, uh, we're going to ask you a little bit of your area of expertise, if you don't mind. So what are you right now working or focused on? My focus uh, primarily right now is on hand tracking. Um, I, I, it's interesting because, you know, Ultraleap, for those of you that don't know, is, is, is two companies that have come together, right? And so Ultra Haptics was founded uh, by Tom Carter to bring mid-air haptics using ultrasound. Really exciting technology. Um, you know, I I just kind of walked through a lot of the my history, and I've gotten to see some really cool magical stuff. And I, I honestly, when you put your hand out in the air and you feel a texture or you feel haptics, it's one of the most magical experiences that that I've had in the world of technology. Um, and to do that, they were uh, heavy users of Leap Motion, the company that uh, created hand tracking um, and finger tracking specifically, and really true 3D tracking of hands. Um, to to do uh, mid-air haptics, you have to understand where the hand is and what part of the hand that you want to. If you want to like put a sensation on the fingertips, you have to know where the fingertip is to direct that. Um, and so big users, um, Leap Motion at the time became available and, and Ultra Haptics uh, acquired uh, Leap Motion. And so we have Ultra Leap. So apologies for that. Do not quit Slack. So I'm going to get those. <laughs> quit it now to get rid of those sounds. Um, so yeah, so uh, I, I focus on uh, you know I, most uh, maybe 80-20, uh, because right now hand tracking is having its moment um, in VR things like VR training and really broadening the market because those of us that are gamers or come from that background we all know how to use controllers it's very easy but even in that context of, of that when you say hey press the X button to someone on let's say the Oculus uh, or the Meta Quest controller. Um, you know, most people would still ask themselves, which hand is that on? You know, because it used to be everything was on the right side, right? And so, so controllers are confusing. And if we want to broaden the market for VR and AR, we have to get beyond controllers so people can use their hands. And that naturally extends into what we're doing in haptics. But at a consumer level right now, the hardware for haptics isn't quite ready for the VR AR. That's why I said that we're doing some interesting stuff in VR arcades. We work with some of the big companies in location-based entertainment to explore uh, mid-air haptics there, but the near term for our mid-air haptics product is actually in the automotive sector, uh, where you have uh, a lot of power in the car, 
um, to generate the power necessarily in the transducers. And you have a fixed position where you have a driver with their hand rest. And so you can have a pretty good experience. And, you know, technically we have our stuff down the size of a cup holder. And so we can, we can steal one of those spots to do it. So right. that's kind of. You, you said something that uh, I want to derail a bit from our questions and ask you that again, because that was one of my favorite moments in AWE when you went on stage and you asked the audience to close their eyes. So we'll do a little experiment right now with the audience. Uh, close your eyes. And I think the question from Matt was to think about in which hand, left or right, uh, are the X and Y button on the MetaQuest device. And most people got it wrong from my understanding, because like you said, like it's so hard to remember where are the main buttons. And I feel like the haptics subjects in XR is one of the most interesting parts of the industry. Um, so I will ask uh, Eric to ask you the next question. <laughs> yeah, so thanks a lot, Matt. It's a pleasure to have you here. So I think you burn through again. I always say this to to, to speaker, but they, they, they front run most of the questions that we have prepared. So um, let, let's stay on the hand tracking, right? So it's um, we, we work with Leap Motions also in my company since, I think, 2015. So when it was uh, not stable and it was, uh, we, we saw the potential, but it was not yet a product stage. Um, so we had a lot of experience, a lot of feedback from the market that is a one, it, it's clear from our perspective that has a huge opportunity to be the user interface of the future of XR. Because it's simple, because it's natural and the interactions are, are easy and you can apply uh, interaction design to hands. That's fantastic. However, one of the points that we actually saw is that it's not yet quite product ready. You're always there because you always have some blind spots uh, that happens uh, somewhere and basically just to generate that, you know, two, three percent user frustration that prevents it to be uh, rock solid. And Meta is investing on EMG technologies to solve that problem, right? They are investing in that, in their bracelet and ability to track the hand through data fusion. Uh, if you can share, is Ultraleap working on something that that uh, would uh, uh, fill that gap, uh, or is that uh, uh, your focus on different market that would not need uh, uh, that precision? Let's say. Great question. Um, and, and as far as Meta's efforts on the on the risk stuff, again, I think that just came out yesterday, so you definitely have to speed on the on the latest. Or maybe they've talked about that before, but that's. Uh, I know it was just a research paper that came out like two years back, but it's. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. That in the Indies, it was like well known that we wanted to do that. Yeah, the research world. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think what you're getting at is um, some of the limitations of computer vision technology. If you're using cameras to look at uh, an image and then process that image and, and create data from it, you need a good image. Um, you need to understand that there's limitations for if, if something's out of sight of the camera, then you're already like out of the, you know, <laughs> you can't possibly process that, right? So there's the, there's the basic limitations. Similarly, you deal with occlusions. So like right now I have one hand in front of the other. And if my one hand's occluded, like how is the, the computer supposed to understand, right? How is the, your computer vision model or your deep learning model supposed to be able to infer where it's at, right? And so those are some basic limitations. Um, we're a computer vision company uh, on that side of things. Um, I, I, we're not investigating and using electrical signals that go to the brain at this point in time. That's not an area of focus of ours. Um, we're focusing on the computer vision side and what we can do to make that better, right? And additionally, in the world of VR from a usability perspective, I think one of the things that 
we've seen is the move to mobile, right? Like VR in this newest instantiation, you know, Manu and I would talk to several people at Immersion because we had people at Immersion that were from the 70s in VR, right? Like military, to, you know, VR is not, it feels like this is a new thing. This is like the fifth generation of VR, right? Or fifth, you know, uh, instantiation or whatever you want to, what word you want to use to describe that. Um, and that started on PC, right? Everyone knows the Oculus uh, Rift dev uh, kit, their, their Kickstarter that blew it out of the water. And that's kind of like the genesis moment for this new generation. And, you know, it had been PC for a while. And in the last two years, it's completely shifted to mobile, right? And, and what that brings us is things like inside out tracking. Um, and, and so you, you don't have to have cables everywhere and things like that. So for us, a lot of the focus has to begin to bring hand tracking to that market, right? And so what we've done in there is focus on specific camera modules that can be integrated, have really wide field of view, and then also getting the software side of things to run on mobile processors at a very power efficient way. Because if you're draining the battery in you know, an hour or less, like you're not going to get very far. So that's kind of been our focus, uh, like from a product perspective. From a research perspective, what we've seen is, is some really interesting projects that our research team has been involved in that combine both mid-air haptics and other uh, forms of haptics like wearables and wrist wearables. On the hand tracking side, um, our model's gotten better and better so that, I know the question was about hand tracking, I didn't mean to pivot into haptics, now my head's in the haptics world. On the hand tracking side, things like these two-handed occlusions I described are something where we've spent a lot of time training our models on to get that better. And you know, in our most recent release called Gemini, that's one of the biggest leaps forward. No pun intended from our company's name. But um, you know, you, you have like really good two-handed interactions and occlusions. That's where our technology really shines versus some of the other hand tracking technologies that are out there. A lot of that's because we use a, a certain camera architecture to get really good images because we use infrared light to shine on the hands and then we use infrared filters to filter out just that light so we see just the hands where other folks are using natural light cameras and stuff so we focus on what we can do within that we've also recently just rolled out support for multi-device or multi-leap support internally we call it where you can combine uh head mounted display hand tracking cameras with screen top or externally mounted cameras and feed them into the same system and so we have customers looking at like flight simulators and, and things where you want to be able to have really good interactions with like real world uh, cockpits where you have like a real flight stick. And so it's a great example of if I hold my hand like this and I have buttons on, let's say the side facing me, this camera can see the external fingers well, and this camera can see my thumbs. And so we were trying to create a scalable architecture where you can add cameras to, to remove the occlusion problem. You know, even within like, let's say the MetaQuest, they're using cameras to track their controllers. And if you take your controller and put it behind your head, it, it'll drop out, right? The, the camera can't see it, right? And so they can use the IMU gyroscope accelerometer to track it and kind of know where, but at some point, like there's limitations of computer vision. And so um, it's interesting to see kind of the different paths to try to solve for those problems. But that's kind of how we're looking at it right now. Um, I, th I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great, uh... Uh, uh, strategy based on your strength because you're multiplying the input cameras to enhance the field of view and of course like fusioning of these tracking spaces is of course is challenging we did it in prototype in the company and we, we did spend like six months to make it work and it's great to see it in, in the product stage and i think it's a, it's a great strategy specifically for automotive because you can have 
two or three or four of these cameras to make your hand tracking extremely robust and uh, that how you need in automotive because you don't want to have the hand disappear when you're controlling you know uh, you're we are answering for a call in midair because you're driving right so yeah thanks a lot for the candid answer it was a pleasure to hear it from you and manu i will let you share the next question yeah so matt tell us a little bit about um the storytelling part of ultralib i think is what's most interesting about the company itself how, you know you mentioned the the merge of the two previous company um so the work with the amazing partners that you have can you tell us about what others can learn from the relationship that ultralib has with their partners and what other can learn and know about that okay um i guess uh any partnership and uh, you know i like how you use the term partner and not necessarily customer because sometimes you feel like there's customers but the, but their cust your customer is your partner too um but we're very much an ecosystem as i mentioned we're in an ecosystem and in consumer experiences or consumer electronics like you have to remember that um there's a phrase called content is king you know when we go buy a, a meta quest or we go buy a playstation 5 we're not buying a maybe there's some fanboys and people that want to buy a playstation right or whatever you're buying it for the game you're buying it because you know you like fallout or uh you you like you know fifa or you're buying it because you like call of duty or you're buying it you know you, you buy it for the experience and so you need to deliver value to uh the content community that that's really what people are looking for you know that's that's the I guess that's like the very first area where like when I came into Ultralip, I was like, okay, what the, what value can we deliver? And so what we focus on is great tooling. You know, we focus a lot on our Unity tooling to make sure that Unity developers, because that's like a lot where the action is in VR and AR, can have easy ways to integrate, um, you know, our technology. We want to make it easy for developers to use really good interface elements. We want to make it so that they can see sample scenes. Um, and so you really have to take care of that community. And that's something that Leap Motion did really well. You know, one of the things we talk about is we have over 350,000 developers over the lifetime of the Leap Motion product. Um, and so that's it's all about delivering value. And so again, so then the, on the other side of this ecosystem, we have like the hardware manufacturers, right? And they're, and they're partners, um, they're our customers. Right. And so we have to deliver value there and, and what value we can deliver to them. And that, that value takes different forms. Um, in some ways, the value we're bringing to them is the content support, right? So that they want to buy our technologies because there's cool content that makes use of our technologies. But there's other stuff, right? Differentiation against, you know, we, you know, we work with companies that um, are maybe competitive to companies that have an investment in, in hand tracking and doing things there. Um, you know, and so we need to add value and, and then sometimes that materializes on the consumer side of things by helping them with things like their system launcher, where that's their software, right? That's the software they own and that their customers use their software. And that might be, you know, just navigating and choosing apps and so trying to integrate hand tracking value there. Um, you know, that's been a focus of ours. And, you know, we've worked closely with Lynx, who's one of our customers delivering a mixed reality headset coming out soon to work with them to have a great launcher experience. Because that's going to be the first headset that's going to ship without controllers, right? So your hands are your primary input. And that's really exciting for us. And so we've done a lot of work there to make sure we deliver value there. Um, and then when you take those two of our main constituents, there's there's other partners in the ecosystem. So, you know, we've worked with Qualcomm very closely. Um, and 
they're, they're a chipset vendor within this ecosystem that delivers to almost everyone in, uh, on the mobile side of VR and AR. And so what we've done there is, you know, really optimize our technology so it runs in a very power efficient way. So that gives them something to go out and be able to market as a differentiator. Um, and then there's companies like Unity that are also partners of ours, uh, Unity and Unreal or Epic and Unreal Engine. And that's like where we can add value is to, again, make their lives easier for their developers. Um, and then in the BD world, we think about, okay, like whose customers can we help support and add value? And you know, in the enterprise, as I mentioned right now, there's a ton of interest in using VR, specifically VR in the context of training, um, to reduce costs and have better training. And you know, we have customers or partners in the healthcare side of things where we're doing empathy training for caregivers. Companies like Embodied Labs is a, is a customer partner of ours, where you know they're they're trying to let people understand what uh, people with macular degeneration go through, and so you put on a headset and you can start to experience what that's like. And you know, again, controllers don't work for them. So you know, we focus and dive deep into those areas where we think that we can make an impact, um, and that's one of them. Additionally, Lufthansa um, wanted to train a bunch of flight attendants without having to fly everyone in to get onto a dummy aircraft to do pre and post flight safety checks. You can do this in VR. Um, they submitted to the German Aviation Authority how to, um, like they wanted to do VR training and that they were told, no, no, these controllers aren't real. They're not going to build muscle memory or the right memory that you want to have for the training. Um, then they worked with us using uh, our technology, resubmitted, got approved, and now they've trained over 20,000 flight attendants. So again, it's, it's an ecosystem and it's really all about finding where you can deliver value because again, in this world, if you deliver value, it will come back to you. Right. And, and so that's the focus is with all your partners is figuring out where you can deliver value. I really um, love answer about seeing it as an ecosystem, almost a family and the different actors are not just the end customers, but the people that you work with too. Um, Eric, back to you. Yeah, thanks. I want to build on this because I love this ecosystem question. And let's make a, make a move up, like upper level ecosystem. Let's talk about OpenXR here. So you mentioned that uh, that the content is king, right? And I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, the, 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 the peripherals is a tool to have an experience. The rest is, you know, it's, it's secondary because the user is central. So uh, there is all this big push, specifically from Meta, to have uh, uh, this OpenXR standard up and running so that the content can be uh, cross-interoperable. So that uh, that's not the content for Meta and someone else can ping to tap in this content and have access to all these potential market. So to stimulate uh, cooperation or uh, competition to make the market grow faster because it's, it's, if it's segmented, it's bad for everyone because it's a more, smaller cake. Uh, what's the strategy of UltraLib here? So how, what do you think about OpenXR? What's the challenges and the risks or the opportunities that exist in that area? We love OpenXR. Uh, we're a part of the Kronos group and, and we, we contribute and participate to, to that standard, especially as it relates to hand tracking. So I'll just say that from, from the get-go. Um, we believe that, yeah, open standards in this space are going to do great things for bringing VR to the masses. You know, that's like our focus. Um, so fully support it. Uh, wish it could go faster. But, you know, when you bring a lot of big companies, uh, I have a lot of experience on the standard side of things from my time at Dolby because, you know, audio and video standards and things like that. Standards are tough. Um, you have a lot of big players with a lot of responsibility to their investors to try to 
act on their behalf. And so then you have people pulling in different directions. And, and so there's, you know, it's it's challenging, but, you know, it's really exciting to see where OpenXR has gotten to today. Um, it's it's really coming together to the point where, you know, moving forward, we're going to see OpenXR compatible runtimes from pretty much everyone in the space. And that's not that hasn't been the case. Um, so that it opens up a lot of possibilities for um, people, the application developers specifically to uh, move faster between these platforms, which I think is good for the industry overall. And again, rising tide floats all boats like the VR industry is still maybe. Again, I'll just say that it's measured in the millions and or maybe tens of millions of units a year. Like we want to see this thing go to the hundreds and the two hundreds. And, you know, I talk a lot about our our value prop in that is we want to become like the touchscreen was to mobile computing, right? And, and when you had to use buttons on a phone, smartphone market was limited to BlackBerry users and power users and technical people. And when we added in the touchscreen, my mom, who's almost 80, can take pictures and share them with the family on the group chat. My two-year-old nephew can navigate to his favorite YouTube channel and the market went to a billion plus, right? Number of devices shipped. And so that's, I think, overall where VR wants to get to is or, or AR, VR, the combination. We want to get to that. So our view is we're going to open it up that way. OpenXR is going to help that because content will be portable. Companies like Unity have a tremendous value add there to um, make it easy to develop. But what we've seen in OpenXR on the challenge side of things is there was a talk at GDC I guess a month ago, a couple of weeks back, um, uh, the Zombieland talk, and they talked about how they have to QA for like 38 different headsets now. So even if OpenXR gets you to the, like makes it slightly easier to get to these different platforms, you still need to deliver a quality product. And this is an early, early stage system, and so you still have to follow through on the quality side. You have to you know, do that work to make sure that you're delivering a great experience to your end user, and that's not free, right? And so there's opportunities for companies, and they talked about a company that's stepping up in the QA space to do the QA on all these that you can outsource that to. Um, but those are some of the challenges, specifically as it relates to hand tracking and or haptics, even you get into, okay, the controllers in these spaces all have different actuator types or locations for those actuators and you have a different feel and so when you're taking an artistic person that wants to deliver a certain experience and you move from a quest controller that has you know an lra in it to you know a different controller that might not um that's going to have a different feel to it that can be jarring or create cognitive dissonance to a user right if it's not what they expect um so those are some of the challenges openxr can get you so that it's easy to move from place to place but when the hardware itself is different right and, and people see that the easiest way for people to associate that is display resolutions right like or the buttons and so you know if, if you have a trigger available to you okay that maybe you put that as how you shoot your gun well not all of the vr controllers in the market especially when you look at some of like the ones that are more three off really have like a, a functional trigger and so now you have to map shooting to a different button anyways there's there's lots of examples of OpenXR gets you part of the way there. Maybe even in the world, you can imagine it getting you 90% of the way there. But in engineering, often the last 10% is 90% of the work, right? And, and that's the challenge I see for OpenXR is that I think it's going to be great. I think it's doing great stuff. Um, I think that it, it's going to really open up this market in ways that we haven't seen. Um, and we're just seeing the start of its positive effects on that. 
but it'll still have challenges as it relates to that last mile, I guess is how I'd, I'd look at it. Yeah, I love the answer because that's also opened the door about the strength of uh, Ultra Deep. Because if you would arrive at 99%, I mean, the barrier to entry from a technology incumbent that have a different hand tracking technologies are zero. So you basically, uh, your only differentiation is your technical performances. If it would be super easy to just cross port your own content, right? At this stage, uh, there is still some, uh, the value of your software and all integration into your partners has still value here and is a barrier to entry for incumbents. So, uh, or competitive future competitors. So it's, I think it's, it's, it's a great way to establish at least uh, dominance or at least uh, having a, a, the, the right place on the market when this friction of uh, substituting technologies goes down. And, uh, but you, at that stage, probably you have enough advance advance on the, on the potential competitors that you can, you know, implement innovation, acquire them, do whatever you need to defend your position. So I love that. Thanks for the, thanks for the answer. Yeah. And um, Manu to you. Yeah, so we're going to get into a next part of our episode. And, and I think I hear from all the answers that you have met, like a lot of excitement and you, you seem to already paint a picture of the future. So let me ask you, what would an ideal future of haptics in exile look like in, let's say, five to 10 years? And I know we already did this exercise together in the past. So now let's do it with the haptic stuff. All right. An ideal view of haptics. 10 years in the future, five, 10 years, something like that. Um, I think that uh, uh, an ideal view of haptics in the future, probably, again, we, I like to start with a user. You know, I've, I've been indoctrinated in the world of user-centered design. Um, yes. yes, by you, yourself. Um, no, you want to start and like, so So, what do you want to deliver a good experience to the user? I think that there's probably two pieces of that. I would be remiss without saying we want to deliver haptics without people having to hold anything in their hands, right? Like midair haptics is going to be a part of that. And so, but I, I think that the interesting thing is that also there is a need for for physical haptics, if you want to say, or, or objects in your hands. And so, um, again, as I mentioned, our research, we're doing things like combining. There, there's, there's certain benefits to the midair haptics, right? You don't need any hardware. There's also limitations, right? You know, in the world of haptics, we have really good receptors on the front of our hands. We don't have that on the back of our hands, right? There's different aspects of this, but you can trick the brain in a lot of ways by combining certain things or using certain techniques. And so even by putting a wrist wearable on and using midair haptics, we're already seeing some interesting stuff that you can make someone feel something that maybe doesn't actually exist, right? And, and, and that's where I think in the future, the combination of those two things coming together is going to be really exciting um, to deliver some cool experiences um, in the same way that, um, you know, I got it, the PlayStation 5 controller is pretty awesome, right? Like for those of you that have used it at, you know, everyone at home or whatnot, like, you know, you just get some really good, like you both, you have like the whole controller doing raindrops, you have like different, yeah, kickback from different guns and stuff. Um, and then, you you know, and in the world of VR, you can imagine that being in more of a one-handed form factor and, and you're in VR and you want to stick your hand out and maybe feel something um, because I think one controller, one non is actually going to be a pretty cool experience in VR when, you know, hand tracking gets to that point. Um, you know, you want to be able to put your hand and feel maybe like a fire, right? So the combination of both mid-air or touchless haptics with physical haptics, I think is going to be really exciting. I think from a form factor perspective, um, 
uh, wearables and gloves provide a lot of really interesting things because you get into this world of wow like where, where can we go with that right and, and again like there's a lot of um i'd say companies that almost seem like they're competing with each other right now for mindshare that in the world of haptics that 10 years from now will be more complementary right because everyone will figure out like hey there's different use cases that work good for this and that and again putting the user at the forefront and what's the best way to play that game or or what's the best way for them to do a design review um you know so that if you're an executive at volkswagen and you're trying to like sit in your new car that's coming out and you want to feel what the leather feels like and you want to be able to grab a steering wheel and understand you know th those kind of things i think that the comp the, the, the right now we're all competing for the same mind share and haptics I think it becomes complementary. I think OpenXR helps on some of that situations. And, you know, I think what's interesting about OpenXR I didn't mention is that they have this extension capability. So you can support kind of a lowest common denominator while leaving room for more. Um, but yeah, I think that there's interesting stuff like on head haptics is something that hasn't really been explored much, right? Where you know, the wearable now in a world where we get to more smaller glasses that are you know lightweight I, I don't know what, what room there is for for that but um yeah i, I, I think i think psvr2 has a has a head optics if i if i'm if i'm not mistaken they announced that they have head optics on the consumer the next consumer shipped product so it would be yeah. fun to see how a developer will use that that's true they they announced that they are going to use it not only for sensations or feedback but also to remove motion sickness using some type of vibrations in the brain but i think what i love from your answer uh, matt is that it's both the multi-sensory aspect because there are so many combinations of different type of haptics that we have yet to explore and on the long term combine with the content to see what are the real tricks and illusions we can create. Um, but also that multi-sensory aspect brings that cohesion and back to the ecosystem point you had earlier, will almost make the entire haptics market have to collaborate together to really create this holistic experience. So people that are potentially competing right now will have to work hand in hand um, the same way that we have all these different gadgets around us today that we will never think in the past. So thank you so much. I think that's a, a very interesting picture. And even when we think about multisensory, not just on traditional haptics and, you know, vibrotactile and so on, but things like temperature, pressure. Um, so I'm excited to see what, uh, what games and experiences we can have um, in the future with all that. Um, so I'll go back to Eric for the next future haptics question. Yes, uh, I had a follow-up question, but I'll, I'll share it later. So, um, so if someone would follow Ultra, what should it? What what's next for Ultra Leap? So, what's in the short-term future for uh, Ultra Leap company? Next big release. I think in the short-term future, it's really all about getting hand tracking into the mobile HMDs. I mean, that's that's you know, Links will be the first one coming out that it's going to have our stuff integrated into it. That's a mobile headset. It's going to ship without controllers. Um, there's a lot of work for us to do in that space alone, um, right? When you think about again everything from the system launcher to the games to the to, to again all the non-gaming experiences that are really cool in VR, like training and healthcare, um, we need to. We're delivering more and more at the application level to make it easier for people to integrate hand tracking. You know, like while we have a lot of developers, a lot of the bigger developers, you know, have focused where there's volume and hand tracking hasn't been a mass market technology quite yet. And it's only starting to happen. And we're really seeing kind of, you know, an explosion of interest in hand tracking now. And so we need to deliver value there. 
on the technical side, we're going to try to get it. Um, you know, we got to get our stuff to be as lightweight as possible so that we're not eating battery life because uh, battery life or power budget in the world of VR and AR is kind of like uh, what bandwidth was. No matter how much you throw at it, there people will eat it up, right? And, and so the more power budget you have, the more people want to add eye tracking, they want to add hand tracking, they want to add uh, better displays, brighter displays, right? So, so we have to keep focusing there to get our stuff you know, optimized and there's a lot of really interesting things happening in the world of say neural networker, neural network processors and things like that. Um, we want to again, get better field of view even that we have, you know, our camera that we put into these things now is 170 degree by 170 degree field of view. So very much everything in front of you. But you know, if you want to do like good throwing gestures and stuff like that, like you got to start thinking about that. And so the next generation of headsets that's coming out let's say you know i think the the rumor is that meta is coming out in 2024 if you kind of think of 2023 will probably be this still this current generation of headsets the the, the next generation next generation chipsets they're going to have support for a lot more cameras that opens up a lot different field of view things and so yeah i think it's broadening the field of view by getting more cameras whether it's the combination of outside in and inside out um delivering more value at the application level to make it as easy as possible and really fine-tuning certain interactions so that you can have like a good thing like something like rotating where like you can just see me rotating my hand the occlusions that are created you know where these fingers are visible and now they're totally not like that, that that's you know there's a lot we can do at the application layer and at the tools layer to make that better and so that's kind of our focus i would say that's awesome. Thanks a lot for uh, for for sharing this. It's uh, it's wonderful. So, uh, Ashley, I leave to you for the closing uh, remarks. Yeah. Before I jump in, Matt, I was wondering if there's any kind of like last messages, um, some insight that you want to share with our audience. Could be anything. I guess uh, I've I've talked a lot about hand tracking, and so at least on the midair haptics, I think again, as I said, it's one of the coolest, most magical. Uh, technologies. Um, you know, we use an array of transducers to, to fire ultrasonic waves that collide at a very, very precise point on your hand or palm. And we can do things like scans where it goes up. Um, and in the automotive space, we're kind of combining what we can do technically with, again, thinking about the user and the use case. And so there's really exciting stuff that we, things like what we call hapticons, like haptic icons, kind of like hapticons. And so in the context of you in the automotive space, we showed some of this at CES this year. And, you know, some people were able to make it to CES, but again, at Omicron kind of threw a wrench in the middle of it. Next year, CES for the next show we're at, come by and see it. But, you know, things like, you know, we, we kind of have the idea that, okay, if you wanted to control, let's say the radio with your hands, we do a gesture that's like, this is kind of meant to be antennas, you know, two finger gesture. Right, or, or something like this. And what we can do there is then to, to give you the feedback, right? Like, you know, we talk about touch screens having feedback, right? So that you know that you did the, that you, you click that button. We want to deliver a sensation. So what we do is we actually send a haptic effect up the fingers and then back down the fingers. So you can feel that and you can understand, okay, nice. Like I triggered the control over the radio. And now you can, you know, like use a pinch gesture to go up and turn the volume up or to use pinch gesture to go down, you know. And so like the feedback there is really cool. Um, if you do like, you know, an open palm and it thinks you're doing like the fan, it'll create a spinning effect on the palm of your hand so that you can actually feel and understand again that you you connected to the right 
you know, it's, we're giving the right feedback to the user. And so that's some of the cooler stuff I think that's happening in the world of haptics, specifically in the midair haptics. You know, it, it's a really cool technology and how we implement it. And what we're seeing now is taking that, that um, basic capability to deliver effects and we're combining it now in a more like user-focused way that's really exciting. And then from a size perspective, you know, those of you that have been around and gone to AWE back in 2017, you know, it used to be like, like not everyone gets the video, but let's just say it's a couple feet wide or, um, you know, uh, it, it was pretty wide. And then we got it smaller and now we have, you know, a version of it that's down to essentially a cup holder size, which is pretty exciting, um, you know, as far as that, because, you know, once that gets small enough, then it becomes something that maybe you can wear. Maybe it's something that you can mount on a, a wearable device and all of a sudden you have even more possibilities. So that's that would be the point. It's just on the haptic side. I think there's really cool advancements as well, as much as I've talked about hand tracking. For those who think that Matt is biased because he works there, he was already passionate like this before immersion when we we're playing with meter haptics at the time. So this is not a biased answer. <laughs> Matt, let me take uh, your last uh, last last uh, um, feedbacks, and I would like to build on that because it's super interesting. And I'm a super. Uh, I did work a little bit in automotive, so uh, with haptics. So, but uh, one of the things that uh, routinely happens in technology is that uh, it's super hard to get user, at least a large amount of user, to learn a new interaction paradigm, right? Uh, where in VR with hand tracking, that's super natural because you're using every strategy to already learn in reality, right? The, um, the, uh, the touchpad from uh, iPhones that is been ubiquitous today was basically the co-localization of the control and the image and uh, all these kind of things, right? Was was building on the idea of, of a virtual button and everybody knew already how to use that. How do you see the challenges, especially in automotive, through the fact that you need to uh, teach the user how to interact with your uh, HMI system through gestures where there is, let's say, no direct uh, feedback from the system to the user beside tactile. So it, it, do you have some studies there? Is, is there are some things uh, that is, uh, let's say, not yet communicated, but you see a way, a path to make it uh, uh, accepted by the market? Great question. Uh, you know, I, I think that's that's something that's that challenge has, you know, been dealt with or, or been presented to numerous technologies over the years and, and bringing that in right and you know i think it's all about educating the user in a way that um in reality they don't know they're being educated and, and what i would say by that is that there's two examples i think from the adoption if you go back to the windows time frame um they put solitaire on the computer for everyone in windows for free and you could go play solitaire and, and people started playing solitaire and what they didn't realize is that they were being taught all the basic in, you know, interactions for Windows. This is how you drag a window. This is, you know, this, this is how you click and drag. This is how you click, right? Like it, it used a game to teach how to use Windows to, to millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people. And that's just a great example. The other one that I would say that I, I talk about at times is um, when they launched the iPhone, you know, it, they put slide to unlock right, right on there, right? They, they could have made it a button. There was no, they had a button. They could have made it a button, button to unlock, but they taught you right from the beginning. They wanted to teach you that this thing was touch sensitive and oh, and, and, and over time it really, it helped your brain tune, you know, you know, where on that button you had to push to put it, you know, these are 
pixel for pixel, like your brain's really sensitive to this kind of stuff. And so you knew exactly where you could grab it to slide it across. You knew how far you had to go, right? You, you learn how to interact. And those are, those are great examples. So how do we take learnings like that and make it intuitive? Um, I think for us, one of the first things that comes to mind is, is that um, all, all alone on just the gesture and the haptic side of things is up and down is something that becomes very intuitive. And, and, and then when you give multimodal feedback, and so one of the first demos we show is the volume control, because you can make a pinch, you could go up, and now you're teaching the user, oh, it's almost like you're conducting an orchestra. You can, <laughs> it's actually kind of fun in that respect. You're like, you know, or you think you're a DJ where you're like, you drop it, you're like, uh, you know, and then bit him. So anyways, like you gotta make it fun. You gotta have some stuff like that. I think that the volume, the multimodal feedback's good. And then I think for us, it's also all about heads up displays. Like the world's moving towards putting things on the windshield um, when you wanna keep your eyes on the road and you're looking at things and the combination of eye tracking and, and hand tracking are really interesting. Um, you know, you can look at a certain thing and pinch to, to select something. Um, and you can start to give, you know, when we do the demo, we use, we simulate a heads up display. And so that's, it's, you gotta have some kind of multimodal feedback if you want people to really learn. Same thing with the haptics on like the phones, when you started to push that virtual button that didn't exist, you gave the haptic and people thought there was a real button, even though there wasn't. Um, so yeah, I'm a big believer in multimodal stuff um, and, and trying to make it fun to educate because I think that's how people learn. Thanks, wonderful answer. <laughs> I know it's a tough question, but I think you completely need it. Thanks a lot for your feedback here. Perfect. So um, unfortunately, we've got to wrap up the show. But thanks, Matt from UltraLeap. Like, I think you did an amazing job, especially at the end there, of just building that FOMO, that 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 seriously fear of missing out. Um, for folks that haven't tried this yet, be sure to check out ultraleap.com to see where you can test it out, where they're going to be at next. You've really got to test out the Mitter Haptics experience. Um, it's uh, enchanting, and it's like once you've tried it, you will never forget it. Um, as well as like Gemini, which was such an amazing experience. I got to test that out. And then I also um, love the links. I think that is a truly enchanting, magical um, XR experience that's just going to blow people away. Um, so you, you also need to check that out. But of course, um, wrapping this up, bringing it to an end, I just want to thank Matt again for coming in and for anyone listening, um, you know, you know where to find us, thehapticsclub.com. That's where we'll be. We're also on Twitter, Haptics Club, um, and just check out what we're up to next. Um, as a heads up, we're going to be working with the folks at uh, AWE to be on their live app, and that way we can reach um, a greater audience who are curious about new technologies and how Haptics is going to change the future of the user experience. So thanks so much, and we'll wrap it up there. Awesome. Thank you all for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you.